There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Phoenix City Councilwoman Kate Gallego. We had a great conversation that went from the light rail project to the various mentor programs Phoenix supports to the growth of Sky Harbor Airport and how people can get involved to have their voices heard and make a difference. You can find out more about Kate and what she's working on at phoenix.gov backslash district 8 as well as various social media sites located in the show notes. If you'd like to take action on any of the things that we've talked about, click contact us in the show notes and we'll get you what you need to make it happen. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Phoenix City Councilwoman from District 8, Kate Gallego. Happy Welcome. to be here. Really appreciate you being on the show. Centauri, have you ever wondered why it is that trains run on tracks? I I have not wondered that, but are you going to give me the, the answer as to why trains run on tracks? Why would you think? Um, whew, that's a good question. Um, so you can guide their, I don't know, guide their trajectory and... I guess, control them more? Sure, yeah. Okay. There's an efficiency thing there, obviously. Okay. If all the trains were just going everywhere, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be crazy. But anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about Phoenix's light rail system today. So I figured we'll see if Centauri's ever really given it any huh. thought other than you just get on the train and it takes you places. And but you, yeah, there's a lot more going on there. Way. So Kate, you were elected in 2013. Yes. Did you think that when you were a little girl growing up, you wanted to be in, in <laughs> politics or... I have an environmental studies degree, and I never planned to be here, but I'm glad I ended up here. Did you get, people said, you know what, you're somebody who we think could make a difference. Would you consider running, or how did that even come about? So I got my environmental degree, went and worked at the Salt River Project, and ended up in economic development, which is trying to attract businesses to the area and grow the companies that are already here. Mm -hmm. And like many people who lived through the recession in Phoenix, I asked questions, could we be doing this better? Right. Could we have a more sustainable economy, more diverse economy? And I got very involved in the city as a volunteer with my professional work. And as a volunteering, I felt like I had something to offer and decided to run for office when District 8 council seat became vacant. Got it. Felt like I could, particularly in economic development, do more to have a more sustainable and diverse economy. And so I've been working on things like the bioscience campus and a bunch of job programs since being elected. And Hopefully, I will be able to deliver on those nice. goals. So for uh, our listeners that are Phoenicians, can you tell us about where District 8 is and what area that uh, encompasses of Phoenix? So District 8 is an incredibly diverse district that includes the airport, stretches to South Mountain Park. Wow. It's the east side of downtown all the way to 48th Street. So the uh, Diamondbacks play in District 8. The Phoenix Suns do not. So right, hmm. we're split up the middle of downtown. Wow, wow, wow. wow. And it goes... Um, a lot of the South Mountain area is in my district, but it also goes all the way to southeast, southwest Phoenix, the Levine area. So I have farms and corporate headquarters. Yeah, that's wow. That's, okay. What are you working on right now? Is there something that's, say, within two months we're going to get this done? or? So we had a big week at the city this week for my district. Um, the Transportation Subcommittee approved 
a major milestone with light rail going to uh, south of downtown. Okay. So the warehouse district, which is south of downtown, is in primarily in Council District 8. That will be on the new light rail extension that we just approved at subcommittee this week, and it'll go all the way to South Phoenix, um, to South Mountain. Got it. And that just breezed right through? There was no opposition, is that right? These projects are complicated, <laughs> and so we still have a lot of work to do to make sure we get the design right, particularly with working with businesses. When when the road configuration changes, it really changes how people can access their business, and right. so we need to make sure people can continue to operate and, and do well, that the, the light rail will help businesses. So we also approved a, a grant that we got from the federal government to help with business assistance, which we're starting much earlier than we did on the first round of light rail projects, really getting in there and understanding each business on an individual level. Does the tortilla factory have different needs than um, a school that is on the right. extension? And really, on the every business has different hours where their customers arrive, different days, different needs from um, just business planning. You name it, right. What, what, what year did the, the first project kick off with light rail in Phoenix, just in round numbers? So I think it opened in 2006. Okay. So I imagine that the city's learned a ton during that time. Um, I was going to ask, as someone who's obviously a proponent of uh, efficient public transportation, what is your pitch for the light rail? So as someone, a Phoenician that grew up here, a native that has always been in a car, uh, the light rail is not really the first thing that I think of, but it should be. So kind of tell us what you envision with this extension or the light rail system in general. So the bus system is the workhorse of our public transportation system. Most people who ride public transportation would be on the bus in Phoenix. But from an economic development perspective, the light rail really is a driver. It allows density. It um, allows a lot of projects to come in that wouldn't make sense without light rail. And it also allows allows students to get to school. It allows large events. So we are recording this just after the final four was in Phoenix. Right. I took the light rail to... Um, the downtown concerts, as did many other people. So we had something like an 80% bump in light rail mm-hmm. ridership. For big events like the Final Four and Super Bowl, you really can't do it without the light rail. Even if every Uber in Arizona was working, we just don't have There'd the be no capacity yeah. to get everyone in for these mega events. So we need oh. systems like the light rail to be able to move people. And if you talk to people who went to see Aerosmith and took the light rail, they had a great experience. Whereas if you talk to people who went and saw the basketball game in Glendale... There are many stories of people being in a parking lot for an hour trying to get out of the game. Right. So how many folks ride the light rail annually? Do you have those those stats? I do not. Right. Lots. Not many. It's exceeding its uh, ridership expectations. And oh. it's been really interesting to see who, the demographics of who's riding. So we have about 40% of the riders are students. And that's exciting. It saves Phoenix Union High School District a lot of money on busing because they can have their students use the rail system and they mm. don't have to operate their own transportation system. So they're getting great marks from the people who look at school spending for being able to take that money and put it in the classroom instead of in public transportation, which is, we need every dollar we can get in education. So that's been providing huge dividends. There's a lot of thing. There's a lot of compelling reasons to have light rail. I think it potentially makes people feel like Phoenix is a big city. Um, it makes it easier to go to, to social events, and obviously students are um, taking advantage of it. Um, I would think that also it would play a, a really critical role in helping um, 
people from low socioeconomic levels get out of poverty and escape poverty. Um, I read a Harvard study that talked about how transportation is one of the most critical ways to help people escape poverty. Is that going to have an impact with the light rail extension? So the extent, the South Central Extension goes through an area where the majority of the people who live in the community do not have a car. Okay. In part because it is a very young community, so there's a lot of students, but it also goes through public housing and other areas where people right now can't afford a car, and there's a significant senior population who would prefer to let someone else do the driving and yep. feel safer. So we really think this will give people access to new opportunities. Um, the light rail will connect them to great universities, including those in our downtown, and that could be life-changing, but also we have plenty of students who take rail to, to high school, and we want people to have great choice. So I have a young man in my district who was very interested in music, and he went to school. Um, he went from South Phoenix to North Central because they had the best music. Um, he had a two-seat, what we call a two-seat ride, where you get on one bus and then you have to change to another bus to get to work while right. carrying his instrument. Once we put the rail in, he'll have a straight shot. Wow. Which will be... That's pretty impactful, yeah. Just give him more opportunities as well. And also older adults. We hear from a lot of older adults who love going to arts in the downtown area, going to sporting events. They do not like our one-way streets. <laughs> they love that you can get a... If you have a son's ticket or anything at the arena, you can ride for free. Nice. And so they are happy to let someone else do the driving in downtown and get, get a nice ride in. Yeah. We're glad to have them more involved in civic life in downtown. So it's not just students. It's really people of all ages. But you asked originally about the economic development impacts, and we do think that giving more people these opportunities will help change their, their economic future. So we are trying to work very hard, more so than we have in the past, on also making sure that people are aware of the jobs that are created during construction, during outreach, and that we, as much as we can, benefit the people who live in the community mm -hmm. where the construction is happening. With this extension, what will the where will the last stop be? The, it, this extension will go to Baseline. Oh, well, wow. So wow, Very wow. close to South Mountain. That is great, yeah. And it'll go through one of the corridors that's very rich in nonprofits. So there's a bunch of great mm -hmm. nonprofits. Um, the Urban League, Friendly House, CPLC, that are already doing a great job in economic development training programs. We want to partner with them and not rebuild or start, start over with uh, that economic yeah. development infrastructure, but really take advantage of what's already great in the neighborhood. Right. There's a new concept called uh, ETOD, Equitable Transit-Oriented Development, and so that's something we received support from the Ford Foundation to really emphasize on this extension. How do we make sure it benefits the people who are already there? Often, along light rail, you see a lot of new people coming in, so we've seen a huge number of condo and multifamily projects that have come in and out in the existing system and brought new residents in, but we also need to make sure it's a win for the people who are there We're today there, yeah. and who, if you want to stay, that you can and you have the opportunity to do so. So you said ETOD. Can you give me what that acronym stands for again? Equitable Transit-Oriented Development. Um, this extension, because of the demographics it serves, has gotten a lot of national support. Hmm. President Obama and Secretary Fox had a program called Ladders to Opportunity. Ladders of Opportunity, where they really tried to invest in infrastructure that helped people improve their lives. So really getting to George's point about the, the potential of this project. And this was, the South Central project was the only one west of the Mississippi that they selected. Wow. wow. 
So it really does. Kudos show to that you this all! Wow, an exciting project. Can you um, just pivoting a bit? Can you and I think um, I'm included in this. A little confused about. Tell me, city council's role in edu- public education because you don't, uh, you know, here it's run by districts. It's not at the city level. So what can you, as a council person, do to kind of influence or be a champion for, or say that it's not um, one of the pillars that you want to champion? Where where do you fall on that, or where do council folks fall on that? So we don't run the school district, but a lot of the decisions we make are incredibly important mm-hmm. to school districts. So we're very involved in the land use planning decisions. If there are great employers that produce a lot of tax revenue near a school, that helps fund them. So we need to think about when we make these decisions, how do they impact the school districts? We run the library system, which is very important to many of our young people in their education. We have a great park system that includes significant after-school programs. And we've really tried to support what our school districts are doing. So we have STEM programs to and STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math programs that we are supporting from parks through libraries to support the school districts. We also really um, hope to connect businesses with schools. So we have a great program called Principal for a Day, where um, people in the business community can go into a school and, and be principal for a day. The idea is that they'll learn more about what's happening in the school, what the school needs, how they can partner. I was a principal for a day at a school in District 8 about a decade ago, and it was a wonderful experience for me. I ended up getting recruited onto the site council, which was a council of people from the neighborhood and business community that helped the school district. And it was requ- the site council was required by federal law for um, this particular school, but it was a great opportunity for me to see what the district needed. Right. I was working at SRP at the time, and we had a bunch of programs to um, help get engineers and science grants into districts. So it's wonderful when the district has someone who knows how to navigate a company like SRP. Right. That project, uh, Principal for a Day, went away for a little while during the recession when we had to make some cuts at the city, and it is now back and just had a very successful year. I actually did it this year. I was a principal for a day at a school in the Pendergast District, which was fascinating to see. I think the thing that bubbled up for me and what is really uh, makes the program successful is you take someone who is not an educator, I'm not an educator, but they really get to see firsthand, hands-on, how public education works, but how site leaders have to split their time. I was so impressed with this principal who, at the end of the day, I said, well, when do you actually do your job? Because she's in classrooms, and she's she was wonderful, in classrooms, in front of teachers, in front of students, facing with parents, and she said, you know, my day doesn't end at 5 o'clock. I go home, and that's when I check my email and everything. So you can see that these really dedicated leaders who love the kids, but they just have so much on their plates, and I think it's good that folks in the community see that in from a, you know, it's great that the city of Phoenix puts that on because having businesses understand that makes them more invested and want them to actually engage with those schools. So it's a wonderful program. Yeah. I'm really glad that, that we were able to bring it back and it, it complements some of the other programs. Um, Mayor Stanton has a program to try to promote uh, the school tax credit mm. for better or, or not. The state has decided one of the ways that we'll be funding schools is let people make tax credit donations to those schools to support programs such as after school programs. And those tax credits were predominantly going to more affluent schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mayor has led an effort to try to educate our community about the tax credit and some of the schools that need it most that tend to be in more low-income areas because those students deserve great after-school experiences just as much as students in more affluent districts. And that's, right. So we're not running the district, but we're trying to do what we can to support it. 
We also have a great partnership with AARP uh, where you can go in and do one-on-one -on -one tutoring hmm. in the schools, particularly around literacy, and that's been very successful at, at improving reading scores as well as really enjoyable for the seniors who are volunteering in the schools. Oh, I bet. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Well, I know that Centauri was really excited about doing the principal for a day, and I think that uh, I think you probably did an awesome job. I bet um, he was a great principal. I tried. I tried. There were many challenges. But I think one of the things that listeners can do is that I know that um, the folks are really trying to expand that program. So if you're interested, uh, visit the City of Phoenix website to find out more because it's a, it's a great time to, to learn about what's going on in the community, but also just a great way to spend a work day. So anyone who's out there listening who's interested, uh, just check the show notes and we'll get you information on how to, how to get involved. I was reading a little bit about some of the apprenticeship programs that you guys have been able to bring back, um, and it looks like around 2010, due to budget cuts, is when a lot of those programs got cut. Was that around the same time that the school principal for a day deal got cut, too? I'm just guessing. It was. So we were hit pretty hard when the, the uh, recession came through, and the city really had to tighten, a, tighten our belt. I was not on the council at the time, but right. hear regularly about important programs that folks would like to to bring back from those days and it's exciting these days that we have been able to make some of the investments that the community wants the most it sounds like um, the work that you guys have been doing to bring back some of the apprenticeship opportunities have been working um, and I've always been passionate about mentorship and things like that can you talk about some of the programs that are going on in the district so we have participated in a federal program called my brother's keeper which was a challenge that President Obama issued to local governments. Um, it takes its name from the, the uh, it's a, its name is biblical in origin, but it's not a religious program. It's just telling us that we are our brother's keeper and mm -hmm. we need to take care of all young people. Um, in particular, the president and the, the White House had appointed to some of it, the opportunity if we did better with young men of color and if they could participate more fully in the economy, what the benefits would be. So the president issued the challenge to cities as conveners of the nonprofit community, the school district, and, and others to say, what can we do for our young people? And really emphasize that mentorship was one of the best um, pathways for people to economic opportunity. But if you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with an adult that can help you navigate all sorts of difficult challenges from negotiating your first salary to trying to decide what educational path is right for you. So we've partnered with three great mentoring organizations who have doing work long before the city became involved and are trying to support them and get more mentors. So you may drive through Phoenix now and see giant billboards uh, with Big Brothers Big Sisters and Phoenix My Brother's Keeper trying to ask people to do mentors. Uh, we also have had mentoring programs that have been great partners as we've done developments at the city. So we have a housing development and one of their partners is a mentoring organization to make sure that as the city redevelops housing in a community, our youngest members and their mentors can have voices in what mm. the housing will look like in their mm. community. Mm. So it's not just traditional mentoring, but we're really trying to mix it in throughout the city. Uh, we're having more of a focus on getting all young people who live in our city involved. We have regularly youth summits. We have a youth budget hearing, which is very unusual. I don't know of other cities that are doing that, but they're going out and saying, as the city decides where we spend our money, what do you young people want to do? Does it overwhelmingly come back as pizza and ice cream? <laughs> uh, we have a lot of very ambitious young people, uh, and they 
they are happy to share their dreams. We can't always do everything, but right. Uh, sometimes it's the honest comments that you wouldn't get from adults who have a filter, and young people will tell you exactly <clears throat> what is on their mind. Nice. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, well, I don't know that I, well, I did not realize that the city was involved in trying to put mentorship programs in place. I've certainly been aware of Big Brothers and Big Sisters and all those kinds of groups, but I mean, just to, to put some numbers behind it, whenever a young person is involved with a mentor, they have a 40% 46% decrease in initiating drug use, 27% decrease in initiating alcohol. Anyway, it just goes on and on. The high school uh, participation, graduation rates go up. It's nothing but a positive thing. So I think that the more you can pair somebody up, um, really the better. And there's probably such a disparity in how many kids are interested in having a mentor versus how many mentors there actually are. So I don't know that there's a good solution to that necessarily. But. And we are apparently there's the biggest need is for male mentors, and mm-hmm. so if you guys want to sign up, it sounds like you're already involved in mentoring. But well, love. I'm, I'm sure the three of us um, have been impacted at probably multiple stages of our lives by people that have helped us mm-hmm. or given us advice. So um, that's certainly a, a very very important thing in my life. So. When we issued our mentoring challenge, uh, the very first uh, mentor to step up was State Representative Reginald Boulding, who signed up right away to, to become a mentor. So really from all across the community, people have stepped up and said they're willing to support this work. That's awesome. So on the, the same lane of mentorship, I, I'm very curious. So um, hearing about your journey, can you give us some advice or nuggets about uh, being a young person running for um, elected office? So what were some of the things that you learned during it or what advice that you would you give to someone who's listening, who's contemplating, maybe making a go at it? Arizona has seemed to be a very welcoming community for young people to run for office. In If you look at across all levels, we have some very young people who are on the boards of large high school districts. We have some of the youngest members of Congress in the entire country. Um, we also are very welcoming. We've elected a lot of women at very young ages. So uh, Congresswoman Kirsten Cinema, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords were both elected under 40. You don't see that at the federal level very op- often. And I think that's good news for a community that has an above average number of young people, that we're giving them a voice at the table, a seat at the table, and that people of all ages are willing to trust young people. So I was elected in my 30s and the average voter in my district was twice my age. Hmm. So I did I did have to earn their trust and I would sometimes knock on a door, ask people to vote for me. And you know, I remember one time um, I'd asked for um, the husband of, of, of the woman who answered the, the door and she said, honey, there's a little girl here to see you. <laughs> And as soon as the word little girl came out, the words little girl came out, I was like, there's no chance these folks are going to vote for me. If they see me as a little girl, they're not going to let me vote on their police department, fire department budget. But in the end, after listening to me, they they said that they would, and, and I believe them. So there is that, that higher bar maybe that you do have to prove that you have the experience and knowledge um, to do it. So I tried to be more policy oriented, more detail oriented than I think you would normally see from an elected official. Mm. The advice they give us is normally to, um, just have very simple statements and say the same thing over and over again, have a couple good taglines that you repeat over and over again. But I felt like I had a higher bar and I needed to show depth and understanding. So I was a little bit wonky. I may have overdone it, but the newspaper at one point, uh, 
use the word wonk specifically to refer to me. Mm. Um, so there's always a balance. I don't know that I have the, the magic uh, ingredients, but there sure are a lot of young people in Arizona who you can ask. Right. Uncommon for a politician to demonstrate Competency. depth and understanding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, of course, just kidding. Um, I, and shame on me for doing a bad job in my homework. Um, were you born in Phoenix or Arizona? Born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. And what, what ended up bringing you to the valley? Albuquerque was a wonderful place to grow up, and I really enjoyed it, but there's so much opportunity in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I uh, went to school in Boston and did not care for the weather, so I don't mind the the uh, weather here as well. But it was right. really the people are welcoming. There's opportunity. Um, I really do feel like for most people, you can come to Phoenix and make a difference at a young age. Um, coming from Boston, there was a lot of people who their family had had their name on a building 100 years ago, really established deep roots. And it felt like you really had to work to break in. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Phoenix, if you show up and you're willing to put in the time, people will let you have leadership roles. And that's a, a thing that I think is very welcoming and speaks well of our community. You can contribute a lot even if you weren't born here. So we've, mm-hmm. not had a, we've had multiple governors in a row now who were not born here. You might not see that in other communities, but in Phoenix and in Arizona, if you're willing to make a difference. That's a in great most point. cases, mm-hmm. there's great opportunity. Obviously, there's still obstacles, and it's not easy for everyone, but mm-hmm. compared to other communities, you can show up here and make a difference. Yeah. That's certainly one of the things I've enjoyed about living in Phoenix. I, I grew up in Minnesota, um, moved here in 2001, and echo everything that, that you're talking about with just if you're willing to work hard and um, you're able to have an impact. So <clears throat> you are currently the only millennial on the council, um, I was I was talking to somebody today who's in human resources, and this person asked me for an article on how millennials communicate with gener- Generation X or Baby Boomers and then vice versa. And a lot of it was just talking about how millennials should be, how older folks should be talking to millennials and how they'd like to be communicated with, but not a lot, going back the other way. So... I don't know if there's a lot to talk about there necessarily, but have there been any communication difficulties on mm-hmm. the on the council with you being the only millennial? I have to tell you all the time, my colleagues will reference movies that I have never seen, and they all know what's going on. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's I think it's been valuable just to have different perspectives, people across the spectrum on the council. I did feel like the most controversial thing I said my first year was that there are millennials who don't want to own a car in Phoenix. <gasps> And there were de- I had colleagues who did not believe you could live in Phoenix and, and be able to afford a car, decide to leave home without one. Mm-hmm. But on things like transportation, I think it really has been valuable. So I mentioned I represent a lot of the warehouse district, which is home to some very cool creative companies. Right. Um, and their workforce there is primarily millennials. So I've been trying to doing, do work to make sure there's transportation options to get to work. We're obviously bringing, we talked about the light rail is moving forward, but also making it walkable, making sure we have bike share, mm-hmm. just a bunch of different options, which seasonally will vary. You know, people may not be as enthusiastic about biking to work right. in August, but they love it at uh, in March. Mm-hmm. And so just that different perspective, I think, does add value. We are a city that uh, we have a lot of people who are younger than average in, as compared to the U.S. population. We also have a very significant number of older adults and mm-hmm. so you need both perspectives if we're going to have a city for all ages yeah not two ways about it um and you are also one of 10 arizona superdelegates 
during the uh, during the the ten year campaign that that uh, just wrapped up. How was that experience being a super delegate? It was a great opportunity to be involved in the in the nominating process. I am a Democrat, so this presidential election did not go the way I had hoped, but uh, it was exciting to be able to be present for the nomination speech and to to see history made in terms of having a female nominee. Right. Um, it was a lot of emails and a lot of people were very active in participating and, and trying to get involved, which was also precedent setting, I think in a good way, but this presidential election really got people involved and excited and definitely heard from a lot of people about who I should be supporting. Right. Right. And for uh, listeners, just for some level setting, explain what a superdelegate does or is or... So I served um, on the Democratic National Committee, which is, some people say it's the, the board of directors for the Democratic Party, although it would be a, quite a large board table because there's hundreds and hundreds of DNC members. Um, when we have presidential primary elections, the results of, the, of those elections um, determine how many delegates from each state go to the convention where the presidential nominee for each party is selected. So. The majority of uh, if the majority of Arizona voters chose Hillary Clinton, then Hillary would Clinton would get more of the delegates as she did, and the, proportionally would be awarded based on the other results in the election. And then there's party leaders who are super delegates, who um, whose votes are not determined by what their state vote does, and gotcha. can go forward and vote hmm. in the nominating. Yeah. Uh, members of Congress are also super delegate and party leaders, folks like Al Gore. Um, who've served in national office are super delegates. So it's a very diverse group of people. In my case, I was elected by the state party to be a DNC member. Got it. Nice. I'm sure that that was a, a fascinating process <laughs> to be in the in, on, on, on the inside of, because it was certainly fascinating to be on the outside of it. And well, the highlight of the convention to me was uh, Michelle Obama's speech. I thought she did a great job really speaking to what had happened over the time that her pres- her husband was president, but also forward-looking vision. It was great to see her speech. That was really my, my highlight. I, I imagine. It would be interesting to see if she decides to one day run for president. I am told that uh, she is polling uh, as the most popular choice and has zero interest. That's about in right, yeah. It. Funny how there's probably a correlation. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> probably a correlation there. Um, well... The positive experience that, that, that you had, um, that, that's awesome. I'm grateful for it. Um, it seems, again, from the outside looking in, that there was, and it's, it's pretty clear, there's enormous divisiveness in, in politics, um, no matter what side you're, you're on. Um, what are your thoughts on the way forward? How do, we, hmm. how do we actually do something so that people can actually come together and have a conversation? I'm hopeful that at, in local government we can really set a good example for folks. We are elected without a partisan label, and so much of what we do is nonpartisan. So hopefully we can set a good example and and get things done. You know, there's not a Democratic or Republican way to run the water system. Both parties want good results and and dependable systems. And so hopefully we can work more, get things done, and people can see government should be a great place to work. Government is is an entity that gets things done government delivers. So I hope we'll be a good example. And that's probably the best and really only answer. Right. 
think that if we all focused on the things that we had direct control over on an everyday basis and tried to make that better, it would probably pay itself forward or proliferate. Um, and your experience on the council over the past four years, um, has it been cooperative with the with, with, with everybody? Probably some issues are tougher than most, but it's a pretty cohesive group that's moving in the right direction or... We have a wide variety of political spectrums on this council, and we've had some very divisive debates. Most things, uh, most of the things we vote on at every council meeting are supported unanimously, but we've certainly had some very difficult decisions, and, and we are not the perfect model. I don't want to say that we've solved all the problems at the city. Sure. And some things are, are divisive that I, I don't ex you know, we had some investments at the airport that I thought would be unanimous in terms of investing at the airport that... People yeah, you want never to know. spend money. Right. So it it we are learning and getting better all the time and we probably could do better to be more collegial as well. But it's a small body, there are eight council members and a mayor, so we have to work together all the time and there's real incentive to develop relationships and the opportunity to do so. Right. So the legislature with so many more members, they don't all know each other and right. they're not always You've talked, um, obviously, about the light rail, but what are some of the other things that um, the Phoenician listeners can see that are coming on the uh, on the horizon, maybe for 2020 or in the next couple of years? What are some of the big developments that will come out of the city? So I just mentioned Sky Harbor Airport, and we're doing a lot of investments in that area right now. Um, if you've been to Terminal 3 recently, we're spending over $500 million there on upgrades. Um, so it should be more aesthetically pleasing, but also a better traveling experience. We'll have better, more room at the gates, more room at security. Uh, power outlets are incredibly important to people, and yes, we're modernizing yeah. on that side as well. We, uh, a few years ago, really upgraded the food and beverage at the airport, so you saw a lot of local companies, restaurants come in, um, and you could get a real taste of Phoenix at Sky Harbor Airport. We're now going to be doing that with the shopping as well, the retail. So you'll see uh, Bunky Boutique at the airport. You'll see uh, a Roosevelt Row branded store. You'll be able to buy more unique Arizona souvenirs as well and have that local flavor. We're also going to be uh, expanding the SkyTrain to go to the rental car facility. And we're going to be making improvements at the international gates as well. Let's make it easier. Um, right now it's about 600 passengers a day coming through and it'll, we'll go to 800 passengers a day. We'll make it easier to get through customs. Um, faster. One of our real strategic advantages is that you can touch down at Sky Harbor and be at your meeting within an hour. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, you can get out of the airport in 10 minutes if you don't check your bag. It's a very quick, easy experience. You're in the middle of the city. That uh, causes some problems with uh, neighborhood impacts, but it makes it a very quick experience. It's not like some of our competitor airports where you have to drive for an hour and a half to get into the city. So hopefully will make it even easier to, to visit America's friendliest airport. Got it. That's awesome. We've had Kim Belanin on the show, and she talks, obviously, about Local First and the importance of doing our best to shop with Arizona-based companies as often as possible. Not always possible, certainly, but just, just to do our best. So I've been to a handful of airports all over the country, and I think that Sky Harbor with the local restaurants is, is so cool. And it's, a, it's, a great it's gotten experience. great reviews. So Four Peaks Brewery was rated number one spot to, to have a beer at any airport in the country. Oh, wow. It's fantastic, yeah. The overall restaurant package has won so many awards. For just, you really feel like you're in Phoenix. You can have food here that you couldn't have at any other airport. And 
your your vacation if your vacationing continues while yeah. you're at the airport. <laughs> I have not done it, but I'm told there are people who will go to the airport just to eat because the, the line is shorter at Sky right. Harbor than it is at the Chelsea's Kitchen. How funny. Street side. I'd be lying if I said I have not considered bar hopping at the, at the airport. Terminal. <laughs> I have not gone all the way and actually done it yet, but there's been a lot of loose talk. But so you could. One of these days. Um, all right, so the airport, that's a, a major investment that we're going to be making. Are there other areas? I uh, represent the east side of downtown, which includes the biomedical campus, and that's something that's, to me, very exciting. So we accumulated a lot of land in Phoenix to try to get the what became the Cardinals Stadium, which went to Glendale in Phoenix, and then instead used all that land to develop the biomedical campus. So we were the largest city without a medical school, and we're able to bring the University of Arizona Medical School to the campus. We also have NAU and ASU on the campus. So if you're a lumberjack, wildcat, or sun devil, they're all on that campus. Um, there's now um, two different business schools in the area as well. TGen is in the area, so they're really on the cutting edge of personalized medicine. We hope that we're putting together all of the ingredients we need for, for an innovation district where creative people, business people can all come together. There's also several breweries in the area, so you can go get a beer at Mother Bunch Brewer, which I'm told is also part of having a great, vibrant environment that enhances collaboration. Um, so we're going to continue to invest in that area. There's just a new building that came online, a partnership building that will provide space if, if companies come out of these great collaborations for them to grow in Phoenix. And we're also hoping that the campus will expand to the east um, and become more of a corridor as well. They're great jobs, and they're jobs for people all across the education spectrum. So you can do well if you have a PhD at the biomedical campus, but there's also lab jobs that uh, might be easier for people who don't have advanced degrees or who have a GAD. Um, I have a very diverse district, and we need good jobs. So when we have that type of employment center, that really can help mm -hmm. all Phoenicians. We've become a, a national hub. And I particularly am excited about personalized medicine. So that's when they look at you at the genomic level specifically, um, try to tailor cures that make perfect sense for you and maybe have fewer side effects because they are so specific to you. Um, we participated, um, Vice President Biden had a moonshot to cure cancer, and he worked, his office and the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy worked with cities to try to support that. We're not doing the scientific research. No one needs to worry about uh, elected officials getting involved with your particular particular drugs. But we are very involved with, is there space? Is there the supply chain? If uh, there's tissue sample that needs to get in and out of an airport, the city can be very involved in that. Mm -hmm. And again, Sky Harbor is such a strategic advantage that it's close to our downtown. And uh, we don't have to worry about snowpocalypses. Right. Definitely true. Nice. Well, that is very exciting. You know, it would have been neat to have the, the Cardinals Stadium down there, but I think that that certainly has worked out. Probably well, it's more than run. a billion-dollar economic impact and oh. wow. really, and from a job creation perspective, has done a lot of great things, and they're just getting started. That's huge. Wow. That is exciting. Helps us have a more diverse economy. If we can become a leader in personalized medicine, that will really generate generations of, of good jobs, good e economic impact. It's a... 
an industry that I don't expect to be outsourced anytime soon helps us diversify away from some of our core, more established, and not away from, but add to. Complimentary. Thank you. To tourism and real estate and everything else we have going on. Okay, nice. See, that's something I didn't necessarily realize was going on. I had no idea. I, I just wrote down that I want to get a tour of the, the bio. Something you drive by, but you never think to, to take a tour. But now that you've said all that's going on, it's very fascinating. Yeah, we just updated the, the master plan, and we're going to have new business, new uh, buildings coming in, new research space. We still don't have all the lab space we need for if tech companies grow and need somewhere to locate. So there's more investing to be done. But, I mean, you visit places like TGen, and it's amazing what they do and we're so lucky to have them in our community to be you know no one ever wants to have cancer but if you're going to have a terrible disease it's good to have the best research done in your community so that you can benefit i um, sat next to someone when i was working at srp who unfortunately um he had a, he had a, a daughter who had a real ch- rare childhood disease mm-hmm. which is terrible and devastating but she's was able to get care through tgen that you couldn't get elsewhere and is, is doing better. So I'm so thankful that we have that in our community. It's not available to everyone, but if we continue to invest, it will be available to more and more people. Really great stories, really great research. So uh, just curious as we close out, what are some of the, um, or what would you say as a, to our listeners who are located in the Valley, maybe a hidden gem like the biomedical campus that you think like tomorrow, this weekend, go see? I, my district includes the farm district, the farm at South Mountain, 32nd and Southern. Um, there's a lot of great restaurants that have farm-to-table cuisine where you can see the farm there. Um, they have upscale dining if you need date night, but also if you want a picnic where you can have kids running around, they have um, space for that as well. And it's very close to the foot of South Mountain Park, which is such a gem and so diverse. We have flat trails where you can take a stroller or someone who has a wheelchair as well as um, more challenging trails. The park is turning 100 in 2024, so we're going to be making a lot of upgrades for that centennial birthday. Nice. But I would definitely go visit that area if you haven't been recently. No, thank you. That's an enormous park. I don't think people realize how how incredibly large it is and how many trails that there are. So that's awesome. It's one of the largest municipal parks in the entire planet. Nice. Wow. So the idea of the show is to move from awareness to action. So I think that we've, I've now become aware of a lot of things that we're working on. So um, getting involved in these things. If people have questions or concerns about light rail, what would you recommend that they do? So we are going into the phase where um, for the new planning, there's a meeting to talk about what goes where and that's a great time if you're interested in design. Okay. If you're interested in helping the existing system operate better, Valley Metro uh, is the entity that operates it on behalf of the local government partners, and they welcome feedbacks. They're actually very good if you tweet at them hmm. at huh. Valley Metro. So those are great opportunities. But there'd be um, particularly for people who live near areas where light rail is being built. There's great opportunities to be involved, and some fun ones, including one of the first ones that'll come up is uh, temporary art to help as the construction happens, how do you make it look great? And and then more permanent art. Um, one of the largest commitments to new art will be associated with the light rail extensions because we'll have art at different stations and it's really great ways for communities to say what's important to them and highlight the unique areas of each neighborhood. So 
If you Very haven't cool. even looked at the light rail stations, there's some some neat, unique to each community elements. Got it. Okay. So to learn more about that, you would go to Valley Rails, or I'm sorry, um, what's what is the entity that that's to a, Valley Metro to Valley Metro. And you find out the information about mm-hmm. all those programs. Okay. Uh, in terms of the mentorship programs that we talked about, if I wanted to get more information about that or get involved, how would I do that? So we have a great website for uh, Phoenix's My Brother's Keeper initiative, phoenix.gov backslash MBK. And you okay. can also work directly with the, the um, mentorship nonprofits. Got it. Um, you can also go online and sign up to be principal for a day. You don't have to be eligible for AARP to be a tutor if you want to work on literacy with young people. Okay, nice. Great opportunities there as well. And just in general, um, if you were to sit down with somebody or just, just give them advice on reaching out to their elected officials, what would that be? So right now we are making the most important uh, annual decision the city makes, which is our budget decision. Mm-hmm. So we have regular budget meetings, and that's a great opportunity to go in and show up and say what you want to do. Uh, I would also just encourage people to volunteer. I got very involved with the city. Uh, I volunteered first on the Environmental Quality Commission, so helped work on the renewable energy rule for the city. Then I got involved with the the general plan, which is land use. We had a great vision where the voters um, overwhelmingly approved the Phoenix general plan. We hope it is our roadmap to become the most sustainable desert city. So that was a really fun opportunity for me as a volunteer. And we have commissions that do a huge number of different roles at the city. So we have a commission that's trying to fight discrimination. We have uh, multiple village planning commissions that look at smaller regions of our city and and their future in planning. Whether you want something technical or you want to help us pick the new art projects at at the airport, great opportunities to volunteer. Nice. In regard to actually going down and sitting in on the budget meetings, how does that how does that work? I just show up half hour before or what? So tonight's meeting, we have one in Levine that starts at 6 p.m. You show up, um, you fill out a card saying that you want to speak, or you can fill out a card with uh, your comments if you don't want to speak. So you can tweet. The Phoenix Budget has a Twitter account, or um, you can email there's any number of ways, but I really like it when people want to come down and actually be in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can really get the feeling and people's passions come across. So the art community has been very involved this year in saying Phoenix needs to step up and invest in more, more in art. Um, and every we hear from people across the political spectrum about what they want to see as well. Got it. And when they show up there, it's 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 a welcoming environment. I could think that that would be very intimidating. It is a larger public meeting, so if you don't enjoy public speaking, then maybe email or Twitter or written comment is is the way to do it. Got it. But I think people keep coming back to these meetings, which I assume is a sign that it was worth their time. We have people who have, every year I've been on the council, come and and participated. I assume that they're feeling like it was really worth their time. Um, Mm -hmm. We've done additional investments on fighting homelessness as a result of those hearings, and we've also heard robust comments from the bicycle community. Mm. So they were very involved in, in creating the bicycle master plan nice. for Phoenix. We really do try to listen and respond. Mm-hmm. We do not have a perfect record, and we can't always do everything everyone wants. But so many of the things you see in Phoenix come from a few citizens who showed up and shared their ideas. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Centauri, 
what else? What have we forgotten to talk about today? I think that answered all of my questions. Thank you for thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Councilwoman, yes, thank you. Um, what else would you like to what else would you like to share? We just really appreciate your focus on action and there are so many different opportunities. So if you want to volunteer, we'd love to have you for mentoring, for reading. If you want to do business with the city, we now have a, a one-shop stop with e-procurement where you can go online and find all the opportunities. We hope in one place, so if you want to screen print t-shirts, that's there. If you want to help us deploy new technology, that is there as well. That's pretty cool. Ooh. I was unaware of that. Awesome. Well, Kate Gallego, thank you again for your time. We definitely appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. <laughs>